Elfinworks Productions presents Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History. The sight of young children with violin cases warms the heart. Off they trod in their little shoes to school. Boys and girls alike, learning that every good bird does fly and all cows eat grass. But it wasn't always so. Not long ago, little girls were not to play violin. Let's take a trip together down memory lane to meet the early pioneering women and fair-minded men who helped shape today's robust violin scene. Beautiful faces, long silhouettes with violins, grace old ads from Musical America and other publications. Lovely, strong, often with sad eyes. It's easy to fall in love with them, to want to know more. These women did something wonderful. They broke a barrier. Then they disappeared. There was little or no evidence in the history books to say so. How had they managed it, daring to go where no woman has gone before? Who dared to even teach them? Surely their stories couldn't really be lost in the mists of time. And surely their stories, what we can find of them, will resonate with us now. For who among us hasn't felt like the odd man out, one time or another? In this episode, we set the stage for the violin in music and meet four shining starlets of the early stage through the late Romantic era. Those wonderful women born in the late 1800s at the turn of the century, the pioneering pioneers in our evolving story, Ms. Maud Powell, Florence Austin, Florence Hardiman, and Vera Barstow. Every good story must have a start. For ours, let's start at the very beginning. I took my vial and I said, Come now, my heavenly tortoise shell, become a speaking instrument. This poem was written about 600 BC by a woman, the ancient Greek poet Sappho. Visiting the Musical Archaeology Museum, Walking distance from the Parthenon, one finds instruments that resemble the violin and stories of how Apollo, one of the Greek gods, invented the bow. The concept of a bowed instrument can be found in many cultures all throughout the world and has existed since the dawn of recorded time. We won't dare decide for you who was first. Rather, we'll start our journey with the violin, a European instrument with apologies to its great-grandparents. The violin descended from the viol family of instruments, six-stringed bowed instruments with frets. First on the scene were the medieval fiddle, Rebecca and Lira di Braccio. Then, around 1555, the great Italian maker Andrea Amati made the first four-string violin, a masterpiece that evolved to meet the needs of soloists, until Stradivari, Niccolo Amati's protege and famous apprentice, finalized the form of the violin. Let's turn to 19th century America. Not yet quite the United States of America. Women were to take care of the home, spinning, sewing, and making clothes for the family. Women in the cities who needed to resort to work outside the home could hire themselves out as seamstresses or nurses, or work as maids. But they were looked down upon for doing so. And working in entertainment was downright scandalous. During the Civil War, 
Many brothers fought against each other, which was hard on many families. The women served as nurses, spies, abolitionists, and civil rights advocates. They promoted women's suffrage, the right to have a vote, and supplied troops, often through fundraising. They also served as soldiers, disguised as men. Most men who fought in the war had no previous training, so men and women soldiers learned at the same pace. The ill-fitting clothing the soldiers wore hid the women's shapes, and most were only found out if they were wounded and sent to the hospital. Without legal rights, women had no control over themselves or their destinies. Earnings, inheritance, property, all were controlled by the men in their lives, and they couldn't appear in court or vote. Married by 13 or 14, the control passed from father to husband or second husband for widows. A woman with no husband, especially if she practiced healing or had a head full of ideas, might just be considered a witch. That, as we've read from the history books, was a dangerous thing to be considered. All this describes women of English descent who were in a relative position of privilege. There were quilting and sewing groups, tea parties, and social events aplenty. They might play music in the home, but not violin. Violins, the most popular instrument with men, were normally shunned by women who needed to maintain their reputations. So musically-minded women might play harpsichord, English guitar, Baroque guitar, or harp. Fast forward to World War I, life expectancy for women was around 56, a big rise from the 35-year average of the colonial period. Expectations remained much as before, but with war came opportunity. Women could also be Army and Navy military nurses, telephone operators, and provide transportation and other relief services. Although they couldn't enlist, women could serve, and serve they did, in the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. They were hired as contract employees or gave their time for free as civilian volunteers, both for the government and non-government agencies. With manpower scarce, woman power exploded onto the factory floor. And if women didn't exactly explode onto the professional violin scene, at least they made a foray. In part, this was thanks to a master teacher, often a man of prominence, who invested in them, believed in them, and told them they could break through. Among the wonderful violinists on the American scene during this florid era were Florence Austin, Vera Barstow, and Maud Powell. Surely there were others whose names have now faded like summer grass. We're at least fortunate that a few of these names will sing out loudly enough to us that we can still hear them in the 21st century. Florence Austin and Maud Powell are among those compelling voices. It so happens they shared a teacher as well, Henry Shradiak, one of the foremost teachers of his day. Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History, a presentation of Elfenworks Productions Beyond Film and Music, will return after this brief message. 
This is Mitchell Sardou-Klein, conductor of the Peninsula Symphony, where women have always been a part of our history, from our first performance in 1948, enriching and engaging our community with inspiring, innovative, affordable, high-quality musical performance, right up to our current focus on music by living female composers, as well as our efforts through our Bridges to Music outreach and education programs. Let's inspire the next generation together through music. Check us out at PeninsulaSymphony.org. Now we return to Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History. A is for Apple, Arpeggio, and Austin. Let's turn our attention now to the young starlet by the name of Florence Austin, a gorgeous young American virtuoso violinist who dazzled her contemporaries. Born in 1884, Florence Austin came to the violin rather late, at age seven. After coming to New York at age 14 to study under Shradiak and Camille Urso, who was one of the rare, prominent, and notable female violin teachers of the time, she knew violin was the only life for her. To perfect her art, she applied and was accepted to the Royal Conservatory at Liège in Belgium to study under the violinist and composer Ovid Mouzin, In a contest with the most competitors in the history of the conservatory, she was the first American to win first prize. The great Itzai, who was one of the judges, presented the medal to her. When Florence Austin performed, the critics came out in full force and raved. Just listen to these reviews from a single concert in October of 1913. From La Patrie, with what talent and what art she made her instrument sing. From La Presse. She played ravishingly, and her magnificent performance literally captivated us. From the Daily Star. Her technique was splendid, and the whole effect very pleasing. From the Gazette. The soloist was Miss Florence Austin, and she rendered Vinyavsky's Concerto in D minor entire. She showed that she possesses wonderful breadth of tone. No recording exists of this transcendent moment. We can imagine it, though. Oh, if we could only go back in time to be there in that hall. Wax cylinder recording techniques had existed since 1899, but nothing was preserved. And Austin did not perform widely for long. Her most extensive touring season was from about 1910 to 1911, just about 100 years ago. After that time, she took a post heading up a school and passing on what she knew to future generations of students. Through her students, and then their students, her legacy is lived and not lost. Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History, a presentation of Elfenworks Productions beyond film and music, will return after this Did You Know public service announcement from University of California, San Francisco. Hi, I'm Dr. Matthew Springer, a professor in the University of California, San Francisco Division of Cardiology. Did you know that smoking and exposure to secondhand smoke don't just increase the risk of cancer and lung disease, they also have immediate harmful effects on your heart and blood vessels? Preventing other people from being exposed to your secondhand smoke decreases their immediate risks of heart attack and stroke. By the way, even if you think you've trashed your own health already, and there's no point in quitting now, you're wrong. You'll still improve your own cardiovascular health if you stop. Quitting is hard, but by doing it, you can be a hero to yourself and your friends and family. Find tips to stop smoking at smokefree.gov. Now we return to Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History, a presentation of Elfenworks Productions, Beyond Film and Music. 
Violinist Vera Barstow was born in 1895 in Pasadena, California. She studied under Luigi von Kunitz and performed in various places, including the Aeolian Hall and Carnegie Hall, and did much of her concertizing in the 19-teens. She played a wonderful violin, the Giovanni Battista Guadagnini. It was made in 1745, and from it, she drew a marvelous tone, captivating crowds and critics. This was the late Romantic era, a time that stretched from 1850 to 1900. Marches were very popular, especially those of John Philip Sousa, the American composer and conductor who composed 136 marches, 15 operettas, 70 songs, among other works, was known primarily for his American military and patriotic marches. He was, by some accounts, the most famous musical act in the world. Everyone knew his music. He could afford the very best musicians in his band, and the best musicians wanted the bragging rights that came from working with this most famous artist. So whom did he hire as his concertmaster and soloist? You guessed it, a woman. Florence Hardiman, whom the New York Morning Telegraph hailed as an excellent artist, delightful tone, fine exhibitions of bowing, double harmonics, pizzicato, and general violin artistry. Known as favorite violinist in 48 states, she consistently earned raves. The New York American noted, dashing and delightful style. The Boston Evening Transcript, great technical skill, fine warmth of tone. She has Chrysler's knack of making it appear that you merely draw the bow back and forth over the strings and the music rolls out. Portland Telegram. The Chicago Evening American called her playing exquisite, noting how she dashed off her numbers with brilliant, impeccable technique and a tone of excellent quality and carrying power. Hardiman never studied internationally, yet she rose to the position of soloist with John Philip Sousa and his band, one of the most highly sought-after positions in her day. Meet Maud Powell, born in Peru, Illinois, on August 22, 1867. Maud Powell grew up to become the most famous of her sisterhood, the very first woman from the United States of America to achieve such international acclaim. A violinist doesn't just wake up great one day. As the joke goes, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice, practice, practice. And that is what Maud Powell did. She dedicated her life to her art. She first started studying piano at age four and began playing violin shortly afterwards. By age eight, her talents were noticed and she went to Chicago to study under William Lewis for four years. After that, she studied with the famed violin pedagogue Henry Schradiak in Germany earning a diploma from him in only one year. Powell decided to go to the Paris Conservatoire next and was the first to be accepted out of 80 applicants. There, she studied under Charles Dankla, who helped her greatly and developed her style and musicality. While touring England, she met Joseph Joachim, who told her to go to Berlin. She took him up on the offer and went to Berlin to study with him. In a world where the expectation was that men were the soloists, Maud knew she had an uphill battle. Undaunted, she worked doubly hard. 
She tuned out the naysayers and had a very successful debut in Berlin in 1885. The audiences loved her. She went on tour all over the world, even performing in the first woman's string quartet from the United States. The Victor Talking Machine Company, later RCA Victor, his master's voice, recorded her in 1904, sending her singing tones to ears all over the world in a way impossible before this technology existed. This sealed her fate in the annals of violin history. Walk back to November of 1904, as young Maud Powell sits inside a plain and very acoustically dead room, and she peers into a large horn through which she has to aim her sound. It funnels the recordings, agitates a needle into soft-spinning wax on a cylinder. Wax cylinders were the earliest form of commercial recordings. Maud relayed, I am never as frightened as when I stand in front of that horn to play. There's a ghastly feeling that you're playing for all the world and an awful sense of what is done is done. Wherever she went, she was hailed by critics and audiences alike. Yes, Maud received acclaim. When she played with strength, she was hailed as masculine, as if such power were something new coming from women. Women had fought disguised as men in the Civil War. Woman power had supercharged factories during the Great War, World War I. The fact that a woman could call up great power in her playing should have surprised no one. What might surprise and delight you, though, was this fact. Maud Powell, who passed away in 1920, was selected as the first female instrumentalist to receive a Grammy for lifetime achievement, admittedly a little late, nearly a century later, in 2014. All her life, Powell is known to have loved giving advice and encouragement to young violinists of potential. Austin did likewise, turning her attention to teaching later in her career. So we know that along with their scales and studies, these women also practiced graciousness with newcomers speaking words of encouragement to others. It's a way to coax out the beauty in life's song, the song of a gracious spirit, a trait of these pioneering souls, and something we, too, can practice. We may never understand just how difficult it must have been for these early pioneers, Austin, Barstow, Powell, and others, to achieve their critical acclaim, or how many doors they opened for those who followed. Sometimes, people who've broken barriers have noted they've had to work twice as hard to go half as far, meaning they had four times as much effort to break even. Surely, even thunderous applause from the crowds never paid proper homage to their efforts, as we see them looking back. And so, as our curtain closes on those first few femmes of the fiddle, we offer them a belated round of applause. For although we may not know all the names of this era, we do know that those who bowed their way through the rosin-glazed ceiling, even for a single concert, met and delighted a world that did not expect them. Thank you for joining us for the first installment of Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History. That's all for this time. In the next segment, roar with the wild flappers of the 20s, the 1920s, that is. You'll meet Irma, Kathleen, Estelle, Barbara, Ilsa, and Ruth. 
And until next time, keep a song in your heart, an extra set of strings, spread hope, and live life on the upbow. This episode features excerpts from works in the public domain and copyrighted recordings of Maud Powell that were used with permission from the copyright holder. For details including full legal notice, visit elfinworksproductions.com. Ribbons and Bows, American Women in Violin History has been a presentation of Elfinworks Productions, Beyond Film and Music. Writer-producer-director Lauren Spieth, research and assistant producer Devin Philo, script consultant Vivian Kane, technical consultant Christopher Spieth, narrated by Lauren Spieth, audio engineer Josh Workman, Learn about all our products, including this one, available as an audiobook release, and find more information and detailed histories online now at www.elfenworksproductions.com. We thank you for your patronage and partnership as we strive to tell the stories that matter. Copyright 2018, Elfenworks Productions, LLC. All rights reserved.